Well, friends, I don't know about you, but this year of enjoying God uh, has been great. I've been loving it so far, even though it's not been the year that you and I planned. But I thought at the beginning of the year, you know, before COVID and all that, I, I should read the book that was plugged for us to read, the Enjoying God by Tim Chester. And I'm glad I did. I've learned a lot from it. But when I came to the end of the book, Tim Chester highlighted the number one reason why Christians don't enjoy God. And to be honest, it surprised me. You know what it was? The number one reason why your average Christian doesn't enjoy God is because we don't regularly repent of our sin. Now I thought, come on, Tim's a bit of an over-exaggeration, isn't it? But then I came to Psalm 32, our psalm for the day, and I read verse 11, which says this, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all who are upright in heart. Oh, David, who wrote that, sounds like he's enjoying God. But I mean, he hasn't just come out of a Christian conference or listened to an amazing worship music. No, no, he's just repented of his sin. Now, look, I'll admit, the year of repentance doesn't have as much ring to it as the year of enjoying God. But I wonder if you'll walk with me through this psalm to see how day to day regularly repenting of your sin is the key reason why you and I can enjoy God. Grab your Bible, turn to Psalm 32 and have a look at verse 1 with me. It says this, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now that word blessed is not the hashtag blessed, you know, sort of an Instagram picture by a pool with a pina colada. No, no, no. That word blessed is really the word happiness. Uh, let me clarify. It's not a happy gas happy, but a happiness that is a deep delight, a deep joy that comes from what? Knowing you're forgiven. I remember when I was in school in year 10 and uh, I was part of a play, a production. And uh, during rehearsals, I was moving a table uh, with another student and I was being a bit silly and lo and behold, the table fell, but fell onto the student, this, this girl who was carrying the table on her foot. Now she screamed and looked down and it was bad. I mean, the big toe was barely hanging onto the foot. And she, look, she went off to hospital and I just felt terrible. I mean, I bought her flowers, but I just felt guilty. I just, oh. A week later, she came back and she said, don't worry, James, I forgive you. Oh, the relief in that moment. I felt blessed. And chances are, you've had a similar sort of experience of being forgiven and the joy that that brings. But to be honest, there's a bit of hesitation in the back of our minds, isn't there? When someone forgives us, we think, do they actually mean it? Are they going to bring it up again? Are they going to use this against me, an IOU? But that's not the case when it comes to God. See, verse 1 and 2 is saying the Blessed One is knowing the God who can count every single one of your sins but chooses not to count them against you. It's knowing the God who knows the very ugly things that you and I have thought and done and yet covers them over. Who forgives the unforgivable. 
The blessed life, Psalm 32 says, is knowing the God who invites you to come to Him with all that you've done and says, I'll forgive it all. David starts there, and we should too. But here's the thing. So much of the time we forget that truth and we don't repent of our sins. Like David, we keep silent. Have a look, verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. There's a key word in that chunk, the word silent. Where David refuses to admit sin, he, as it were, zips his lips saying, nah, there's nothing wrong here, it's not that bad, it'll just go away, but it doesn't. His bones, what does it say? Wasted away, groaning all day long. Now you might be thinking, hang on, isn't David the king of Israel? Isn't God's spirit upon him? Should he be feeling this? And even as a Christian, you know, we're a child of God, we're forgiven, we're redeemed. Should we feel similar things, experience similar feelings? And the reality is yes. Because sin leads to death. And Jesus died on that cross to deal with our sin, but sin still leaves a bad taste in our mouth. It kills joy. It kills prayer. It kills intimacy with God. Because you can't enjoy God and enjoy sin at the same time. What I find interesting is verse 4, where it says, Your hand, God, was heavy on me. Even God was pressing it on David, that guilt that he was feeling, the weight of him remaining silent with his sin. As if God was saying, You cannot think this is good for you, David. You cannot serve me and serve sin at the same time. And out of love was pressing it harder upon David. The result was his strength was sapped, as in the heat of summer. The feeling that you and I get on a 40-plus summer's day. Now, what David is going through, chances are you and I can relate to it. There's times when we have we've lied, and it's such a significant lie that we go to great lengths to craft a consistent story to make the lie more viable and believable. And it drains us. The times when you viewed something online or began an inappropriate relationship with someone you shouldn't. And the effort you go to, to hiding it, covering it up. The, the times when we've stolen or deceived others or the bad choices we make and we worry day and night hoping no one will find out. We, our bodies groan and we worry and we are weighed down with the guilt and the shame. What secret is wearing you down? What unconfessed sin are you keeping silent from God? Because out of love, He may be making it a harder burden to carry. Because He doesn't want you to carry it anymore. The solution of what to do, David tells us in verse 5. But before we do that, but before we look of what to do, I want to look at what not to do. But sadly, the reality is we do too often. 
Because all of us feel bad. All of us carry this guilt and shame and, and this sense of, I shouldn't have done this. What, what am I going to do with this? But we tend to respond in four common ways. And particularly as Christians, we think they're repentance. We think they're confession, but they're actually not. So I just want to look at four common tendencies that we tend to run to when we feel bad that we think are repentance, but actually not. Now, I've kind of personified these uh, sort of tendencies and uh, put names to them. Now, if one of these is your names, it's completely coincidental, right? I'm not thinking of anyone when I put these together. Don't see them in email, right? But the first kind of character, kind of response, is what we call Busted Betty. Now, if you're a Busted Betty, what normally happens is you do feel sorry. You feel a deep sense of regret, but only after what you've done has been found out. Only when you've been caught. You're worried about what people think, that losing face. And in the end, you're only really sorry because of the consequence of sin. Busted Betty. Is that you? The second one is emotional Eddie. Now, emotional Eddie is the kind of person that's really crushed by the guilt and the weight of what they've done. There's snot, there's tears, there's, there's often emotional promises, like a promise never to do this again. And it appears like well, they're really feeling it, but when the emotions go and the feelings subside, they're doing exactly what they did moments before. There's no real change. The third type of person is a she'll be right Shazza. Now, this kind of person is, if sin is like a line, it's treating sin as if it's a kitten. Ah, it's not that bad. It's an overreaction. She'll be right. And instead of treating sin like a line, it's cuddling up to it, not taking it all that seriously. And in the end, you're sort of blind to the hurt you've caused, God or others. Is that you? Are you a she'll be right Shazza? The fourth and final one is a blame shift bob. Now, you know if you're a blame shift bob, if words like this come out of your mouth, I'm sorry you were offended. I'm sorry you were hurt. I'm sorry, but I couldn't help it. It's my upbringing, my personality. Everyone else is doing it. Blaming everyone but yourself. Is that you? Which one of these four best describes you? Are you a busted Betty, an emotional Eddie, a she'll be right Shazza, or a blame shift Bob? Because none of them are repentance. None of them lead to a blessed life. None of them leave you enjoying God more. You know what repentance is? Have a look at verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Repentance begins with a personal confession. It's turning the silence and it's speaking. Notice he says, there I acknowledged, I, I confessed. It's not keeping it in, but keeping it out. And in doing so, you own it. I did it. This is my sin. I'm to blame. Not playing the victim. 
Have words like verse 5 ever come from your mouth? Not just a one-hit wonder, but regularly. What I love about Psalm 32 is often when we think about confession and repentance, we think we need to do it when we have the big mama sins. But Psalm 51, in a later part of the, this book of Psalms, that's a psalm all about big sins, confessing big sins, where David confesses the sin of adultery and murder. But Psalm 32 is not like that. It's an everyday confession for everyday sins, for everyday life. And like David, you and I need to take a moment each day to look back on the day and think, where have I sinned? Where have I not treated others the way they need to be treated? Where have I failed to love God with all my heart, soul and mind? And speak and confess them to God knowing that God will forgive every single one of them. Now at this point, often people will say, well, if I confess my sins to God, do I need to do it to other people? Do I need to say sorry? If I've said it to God, do I need to say sorry to those around me? And the answer is quite simply yes. If those around you have hurt. And it's important to do it for a number of reasons, but one in particular. Because when you say sorry to someone you've hurt, you see on their face the pain that your actions have caused. And that is a taste of the pain that you've caused God. But here's the thing. When you say sorry to someone, you never know whether they're going to forgive you because that's their call, not yours. But when you say sorry to God, you know every single time He will forgive you. You see that confidence from David where he says in the end of verse 5, you forgave the guilt of my sin. He knows without doubt when he confessed, God forgives. Now, I just want to take a moment to crush a certain misconception when it comes to this topic of confession and repentance. Because chances are you're probably thinking, ah, that's repentancing is the kind of thing you do when you first become a Christian. All this confession, it's the kind of thing that old school Christians do. Or those who have struggles and addictions and low self-esteem. But, mm, but repentance and confession, it is the mark of a Christian. And it needs to be the daily practice of a Christian. You know why? Because a relationship with God is unlike any other relationship. When I first met my now wife, Charlotte, I didn't know her from a bar of soap. We met in a Christian conference and I saw her and started having a conversation with her. And, you know, I thought she was gorgeous and started talking. But I'll tell you what I didn't say in that conversation. I didn't say, hi, I'm James. I just want to say I'm sorry for everything I've done wrong. I'm sorry for the way that I've treated you. Would you like to grab a coffee? I didn't begin there, right? Because we're neutral. I don't know from Barashir, you know, the relationship is neutral. But it's not neutral when it comes to starting a relationship with God. Starting a relationship with God always begins with, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. 
You're the one who made me, who gave me every good thing. And if I ignored you, I've been thankless and I've done my own thing. I'm sorry. You may be familiar with church, familiar with Christian things, but if you've never said to God, I'm sorry and meant it, then you don't have a real relationship with him. And it probably explains why God for you is conceptual, abstract, at best transactional. Forgiveness comes only after confession. David knows that to you. Because a relationship with God is unlike any other relationship. But that being said, a relationship with God is kind of like every other relationship. It begins with repentance, but it continues throughout the relationship. I mean, you think about for a moment healthy relationships in your life with parents, friends, uh, spouse, or work colleagues, whoever it may be. Why are they healthy? It's not because they're perfect, but because they're marked by sorries and forgiveness and ownership of sin. You think about the unhealthy relationships in your life, the ones that are going sour, and it's probably because you're sweeping things under the rug. You're not dealing with things. No one's taking responsibility. No one is saying sorry. When it comes to a healthy relationship with God, is it marked by perfection? Nope, we still sin. But it is marked by saying, sorry, God, knowing that he forgives on a day-to-day basis. Why? Because our actions hurt God. The way we speak our sinful desires, our words, they grieve him. They hurt him. Now, when you sin, it doesn't stop you from being a child of God. But the day-to-day in saying sorry, you know what it does? It proves that your relationship with God is real, is genuine, is dynamic, is healthy. Because what you do matters to God. Now I admit, I haven't shown yet the link between how enjoying God and repentance, how, how they're connected. Because you might be thinking, well, if I'm each day thinking about all the things I've done wrong, won't that just lead to negative thoughts? How's I going to enjoy God more? But verse 10 gives us the answer. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. You know, it's easy to love someone at first. Easy to put up with a bit of sin for a moment. It's harder to love someone who hurts you long term. And the longer I've been a Christian, and I lift up different rocks of my life and realize, gee, more of a sinner there. Gee, I've hurt God there. And I've realized more and more of my own sin in thought, word, and deed. And I realized, but I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. What, what do I do with this? Well, I've realized, gee, it's hard to love someone like James Gilear. But I knew you have a choice. Either I can wrap myself in guilt and keep silent, 
or I can wrap myself in the unfailing love of Jesus and feel the warmth of that. I can carry the sins that I've done and I see all around me in my own life on me or I can give them to Jesus to carry on that cross. Because each day, the reality is we'll be selfish, we'll be rude, we'll have eaten too much, we'll be impatient, we'll be racist, we'll be judgmental, we'll be arrogant. And that's just in one day. But a right relationship with God is acknowledging that and coming to Him and saying, I'm sorry. And then when you do that, in that moment, because despite you've had a terrible day, and most days are terrible days, God still loves you. He still forgives you. And when you confess your sins to God, you experience the unfailing love of He loves me another day. He is forgiving me for all I've done. And you experience that unfailing love and enjoy Him all the more. Let me end by telling you about a guy called Augustine. Augustine of Hippo, who was known in the 4th century. Outside the Bible, he's the greatest theologian of all time. Even the Catholics and Protestants agree on that one. But before that, Augustine was a free-spirited kind of guy. Hated rules, but he had a mother who was pressuring him to become a Christian. Some of you know what that's like. But Augustine put that aside. He had big ambitions and achieved a lot of them. He had wanted nothing to do with this whole Christian thing. But one day, he was in a garden, a park, and he heard a child singing a song, take and read, take and read, and it prompted him to grab a Bible and just open it at random and read and he just so happened to turn to Romans. And there it dawned on him how great a sinner he was and that he needed forgiveness. And so he said he was sorry and he confessed his sin and then became Christian in that park. But years later, he actually wrote a book called Confessions. It's kind of a spiritual autobiography of him confessing his life and his sins to God and relating the struggles he had, whether it's stealing or heavy drinking or sexual addiction. And in it you see that though this great theologian, Augustine, knows so much of the Bible, so much about God, you know what his favourite part of all Scripture was? This psalm, Psalm 32. He had it etched on his bed, the bed that he died in. Because though he knew a lot, he knew one important thing, that he was a sinner. But Jesus was a forgiver. And his unfailing love, he enjoyed not only in that garden, but through every day of his life, until he met Jesus face to face. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Let's pray. Gracious God, 
Our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen.